Hey, well, good morning. My name is John, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is great to be with you all. As always, we are gonna keep trekking through God's word together and continuing in our series called We Want a King. Well, my wife, Marika, and I, one of the things that we love to do together is we love watching shows together. We love watching TV shows, and one of our favorite types of shows to watch are crime dramas or true crime documentaries. These things are pretty disturbing at times, right? This is pretty dark. And for a while, I started thinking like, man, is something wrong with us? Like, are, are we sick? You know, like, is this sick and twisted that we're watching these types of shows for entertainment? But then I realized that it's not just us who watch these types of shows. You do too. <laughs> you watch them too. And it's not just you, but these are the top-rated, top-watched shows in history. We are gripped by shows like Breaking Bad, Ozark, Mindhunter, or Netflix seems to release a new true crime documentary every week. Things like the Ted Bundy tapes that grab a hold of us. And maybe you're here and you're like, hey, I don't watch Netflix. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. That's cool, but you probably listen to all of the true crime podcasts then. And maybe some of you watch the documentaries and listen to the podcasts and you do both. See, there's a reason why we are gripped by these things. There's a reason why we watch these shows, why we listen to these podcasts. It's because we are all fascinated by the exact same question. How does someone become a monster? How can someone do the unimaginable? And as we come to our passage this morning, you heard it read. This is the question that we have to wrestle with. How does King Saul become a monster? And what we're gonna see is it happens one step at a time. And so the sermon today, this is going to be like us watching a true crime miniseries. And the miniseries is called The Making of a Monster. And so pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 19 for episode one. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stand in a secret place, hide yourself, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. And he said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David because he has not sinned against you and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand and he struck down the Philistine and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan and swore as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And so Jonathan called David 
And Jonathan reported to him all these things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. So what we see in episode one is that you move closer to becoming a monster when you reject wisdom. Saul takes one step closer to becoming a monster by rejecting the wisdom of Jonathan. And in verse six, it looks like he listens to him, but he actually doesn't. And so what we have here is we have Jonathan delighting in David, but Saul despises David. And he despises him because David is an upcoming rising star and his reputation is growing. Last week, if you were here, you heard Josh preach on David and Goliath. David has just taken down Goliath, and so his reputation is growing. And Saul sees this, and Saul is envious of David. And his jealousy makes him view David as a threat, who's trying to take what he has. Saul is gripping onto his power, and so he views David as this threat who's gotta go. And so now he has the desire to kill him. But what we see Jonathan doing here, because he delights in David, is Jonathan advocates for him. He advocates for him, which is crazy because if anyone should be jealous of David, it should be Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son, which means he's next in line to become king in the dynasty, but he's not envious. He's not envious of David. Instead, he delights in him, he blesses him, he sees what God is doing, and he's on board with God's plan. And so what does Jonathan do? Well, he provides wisdom for Saul. He provides wisdom by reminding him of what is true, by speaking truth to him, reminding him that, hey, David hasn't sinned against you reminding him of what David has done and how God has worked greatly and worked salvation through him. And, and he even says, he says, you even saw it and rejoiced. And so Jonathan calls his father to walk in wisdom and not to sin. It's as if he says, hey, dad, don't give into your desire to sin because if you do, you will be responsible for murder and it's on you. But here's the problem with Saul. Saul has not been paying attention to his envy. He hasn't been paying attention to his jealousy. And he has allowed this small thing in him to grow and grow and fester. And now he wants to murder. Well, the spoiler alert here is that even though Saul gives Jonathan his verbal agreement that he won't kill David, right after this, we're gonna see that he tries to kill him and that he doesn't listen to Jonathan's advice. This reminds me of when I was in high school, senior in high school, 17 years old, and something that my dad used to always say. My dad worked for a bank, and so one of the things that he would always say is he's like, don't get a credit card. Whatever you do when you're young, don't get a credit card because he knew all of the pitfalls and all of the dangers of when young people get credit cards. And he would just drill this into my head. Don't buy things you can't afford, don't get a credit card. And so I turned 18. And what did I do? Did I listen to my dad? No, of course not. I got a credit card. 
It was like one of the first things that I did. I got a credit card and it wasn't long because it was awesome, right? It wasn't long before that sucker was maxed out. It was maxed out. And then what did I do? I had a credit card that was maxed out. What did I do? Did I pay it off? Of course not. I opened a second credit card. I was like, this is awesome. And then I did the same thing with the second credit card. I maxed that thing out. And then I've got two credit cards maxed out. What do I do? Do I pay it off? Of course not. I opened a third credit card. And it wasn't long before I had three credit cards maxed out in a mountain of debt. But the whole reason why I got a credit card in the first place is because I wanted what everybody else had. And I was jealous. And I was young and I was, ah, I couldn't have it, couldn't have it. And now I can have it and now I want it. It's interesting because I started working at a high-end salon right in the heart of Scottsdale where image is everything. And one of the things that I got caught up in was image. And so I started swiping credit cards on clothes. I was a sneakerhead, still am a sneakerhead, but don't put it on credit card anymore. Um, But I was a sneakerhead and I was just running stuff on the credit cards, running up debt, not listening to my dad's wisdom, all because of this obsession with image. My obsession smothered the wisdom of my dad. But what's the obsession that smothers wisdom in your life? Let me ask it a different way. Where has the pursuit of what you have wanted caused you to reject wisdom? Or more importantly, I wonder, are you paying attention to the little things in your life? Are you taking the little things seriously because little things grow and they turn into big things and the reality is you are headed in a certain direction. You're on a certain trajectory and it's either towards wisdom or it is towards disaster and devastation. And so what are some of the little things in your life that you are ignoring? Maybe it's the little lies to the people that you're close to, the people who are around you, you're telling the partial truth, these little lies, but you're not actually being honest. Or maybe it's lust. And maybe you're not watching pornography but you find yourself scrolling through social media, looking at sexually risque pictures late at night and it is taking you somewhere. Or maybe it's envy. And you want what someone else has so much that you begin to resent that person and you actually want that person to fail. What are the little things? because all of these things may seem small and they may seem like you can overlook them or you can ignore them, you can push them down and not have to pay attention to them, but they are seeds that go deep down in you and they are taking you in a certain direction. They're leading you somewhere and when the seeds get watered, they produce destructive fruit in your life. It's just like Saul, how jealousy became the desire to murder. Saul doesn't listen to Jonathan. And now he's going to act on his desire to kill. Episode two, verse 11. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him. 
that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window and he fled away and escaped. Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me and thus let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, he said to me, let me go, why should I kill you? What we see in episode two is that you move closer to becoming a monster when you reject relationships. And what we see with Saul is that when people don't go along with him, he sees them as enemies, even his own daughter. So what we saw with Jonathan was Saul had this desire to murder, but now we see that growing. And now it's turned into premeditated murder with a plan with an overnight watch on his home and now with a home invasion. And we are introduced to McCall. This is David's wife, but it's also Saul's daughter. Supposed to be daddy's girl, but that's not the case. She finds herself in a position where she has to trick her father and his soldiers, all of his men, in order to save her husband, in order to rescue David. And that's exactly what she does. But also, tragically, she has to lie to her dad because she's afraid of him. She's afraid of what he would do to her if he found out the truth that she helped David. She lies in order to avert his wrath because Saul is an unsafe person. And I know that some of you, when you hear this, you can relate to her because you've had to lie in order to protect yourself from your stepdad, because you've had to lie in order to protect your mom from your stepdad. And you know what this is like, and it's tragic. But Saul has turned now against those who are closest to him, even his daughter, because he is obsessed with killing David. And so now he views anyone who is in his way as a threat. And it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter who's in his way. Recently, I was reading an article on the psychology of dictators. Really light, easy read. Um, and... Uh, it's interesting. There is a psychological pattern that is found in dictators that they follow. And this is how the pattern goes. It starts with fear and envy, and that then progresses to paranoia. And then the, the paranoia progresses to them shrinking their circle and isolating. And that isolation progresses to them turning on their own, turning against their own. And then when they do that, that progresses to them then doing anything they have to in order to keep and maintain power. 
one of the recent examples in recent history where we've seen an extreme example of this was with Saddam Hussein. His life, he followed all of these patterns, these psychological patterns of dictators, and then he began to turn against his own, his own people. And he would do anything in his anything he had to keep and maintain his power. And it is recorded that Saddam Hussein murdered some of his best friends, that he murdered some of his own family members. He would do whatever it took. Saul's psychology mirrors the psychology of dictators. And here's what I know. I know that you all are not extreme like dictators. You're not a bunch of dictators, and I know that. But here's the thing. When you self-select people who agree with you and who agree with your desires and who agree with your agenda, you might just become a mini dictator at home when your kids are getting in the way of your desires with your friends, when your friends aren't serving your agenda because they've actually said you shouldn't date the person that you're dating at work, when your coworker is not on board with the decisions that you've made in order to make a bunch more money and increase profit. My question is, when people aren't going along with you and what you want, do you see them as enemies? When people aren't going along with you and what you want, do you see those people as enemies? For Saul, that's the case. He won't let anyone get in his way of his pursuit to kill. And if they do, he will take them out too. Episode three, verse 18. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah, and he told all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went, and they lived in Naoth. And it was told, Saul, behold, David is at Naoth and Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as head over them, the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. When, when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers and they also prophesied. And so Saul sent more messengers again a third time and they also prophesied. And then he himself went to Ramah and he came to the great well that is in Seku and he asked, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they're at Naoth in Ramah. And so Saul went there to Naoth in Ramah and the spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus, it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? All right, things get weird here. Episode three has a mature rating. There is nudity and sex in this scene. We, this is uh, getting strange. So um, here we go. This is what we see in episode three. You move closer to becoming a monster when you reject your maker. And Saul is so determined to have his way, so determined to kill that now he turns against God. And so David 
gets out of the house from the home invasion. His wife helps him. And now he flees to a place called Ramah to go be with Samuel. And it's interesting, this place, Ramah, this is the very place where Saul was anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel. And now we see Saul coming back to the very place that he was anointed to be king to make it a place of murder, to make it a crime scene. But now he hasn't just come with a desire. He hasn't just come with a premeditated plan. Now he is seething and he is utterly determined that he will kill David. And so what we see him doing is he sends messengers. He sends messengers and there's something strange that happens because when the messengers get near, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it says that they prophesy. And so this is strange. And so what is going on here? Well, oftentimes when we hear prophecy or prophesying, we're thinking about like a prophetic word from God, a window, a prophetic window into somebody's life where you're able to speak a word from the Lord. But that's not what's going on here. And most biblical scholars agree that what is happening here is that the Holy Spirit is taking control of their bodies, these soldiers, these messengers, that the Spirit of God is overpowering them, stopping them dead in their tracks. And essentially they go into some kind of ecstatic state where they don't have control of their body. This is like a Holy Spirit force field around David and Samuel. It's his way of, it's God's way of, of preventing them from killing. And so all of a sudden the spirit of God overpowers them, takes control of their body. And Saul hears about it. And so now he then sends messengers again a second time, but the same thing happens. The Holy Spirit overpowers them and takes control and prevents them from killing. And so Saul hears about it and he sends now a third time, but the exact same thing happens. And so Saul gives up. He's like, hey, my men don't have it in them. I'm doing it myself. I'm going to Ramah. And so now we see that Saul, as he approaches, the very same thing happens. The Holy Spirit stops Saul dead in his tracks too. The maker of the universe is stepping in and knocking Saul to the ground to get his attention. Because so far, He's been rejecting and ignoring God. This is four times that he has tried to take out David, to try to kill him. Four times that he is fighting against God. He's not paying attention to the warning. He's not heeding the warning. So you think about a vicious animal that's on the loose. Usually with vicious animals, when they're on the loose, they have to get tranquilized in order to protect people from being hurt and also in order to protect themselves from harming themselves. Saul is like a vicious animal on the loose. He's determined and his determination is overpowered by the spirit of God. He comes under this powerful control of the Holy Spirit. And now in verse 24, we see things get weird. Things get weird because we've got him stripping down naked. We've got him laying on the ground. When I was reading through this, how many of you know what the Burning Man Festival is? Yes. Yeah, okay, all right. Um, so when I was reading through this, I was like, man, this is like a Pentecostal version of the Burning Man Festival. <laughs> and if you don't know what Burning Man is, maybe Woodstock would do. It's like a crazy version of Woodstock. But this is strange, right? But see, what this is showing us is that it's showing us that the once great and powerful king, Saul, 
is now powerless compared to God. That he's laying powerless and exposed compared to God. What we see is that Saul has turned against God. He's unwilling to stop in his relentless pursuit to kill David. But in spite of himself, God is pursuing Saul. Saul sees God as an obstacle to overcome though. And so God tranquilizing him and laying him out is actually the most merciful thing that God can do to stop him in his tracks, to try to get his attention, to try to wake him up. God laying Saul out on the ground is merciful because Saul is his own worst enemy. So God is protecting both David and he's protecting Saul. And in the same way, God is fighting for you. He is putting things in your way. He's trying to stop you from your obsession that leads to destruction. God wants to stop you from jumping over all of the hurdles that he's been putting in your way. He's trying to wake you up and he's trying to get your attention. But where in your life has God been trying to get your attention? What areas of your life is God trying to get your attention? And have you been ignoring him? Or have you been listening? Because the invitation from Jesus this morning is to listen and to respond. Don't be like Saul. Because Saul doesn't pay attention and he rejects God. He rejects God's pursuit of him and now he has become even more dangerous. And so I'll fill in some of the narrative here because there's, there's a lot of scripture, but essentially what's going on is that after this scene, David flees again. He flees for his life. But Saul hears that he's been found, that he went to the city of Nob and, and that David received help from a priest named Ahimelech. And so pick up for the season finale here in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 11. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahidab, and all the father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, here now, son of Ahidab. And he answered, here I am, Lord. And Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread? and a sword, and you have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then Ahimelech answered the king, and who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I've inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father or your servant who has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, you shall surely die Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand 
also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doag, you turn and strike the priests. And Doag, the Edomite, turned and struck down the priests. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, sheep, he put to the sword. What we see in the season finale is that when you reject wisdom, relationships, and your maker, you become a monster. Saul has continued down the road of a hardened heart and he's become a monster. This scene is unimaginable. This is a massacre. And Saul, he accuses the priest, Ahimelech. He accuses Ahimelech and then all of the priests of conspiring against him because they helped David. Ahimelech helped David. But Saul is so desperate and he is so paranoid and he is seething with so much hatred that he has created a conspiracy theory in his mind and he has absolutely no factual basis for the claims that he's making against the priests. And so Ahimelech is listening to this and he's like, this is insane. Like the insanity of Saul. And so we see that Ahimelech responds in protest to the king. And he says, Saul, look, I had absolutely no idea for one that David was even fleeing from you. And because David is your dude, he's your right-hand man, I thought that helping David was helping you, King Saul. But Saul isn't having any of it. He hasn't gotten his way so far. He hasn't been able to kill David. And so now out of desperation and out of paranoia, his anger overtakes him and he does the insane thing. He does the unimaginable thing. He commands that all of the priests and their families would be slaughtered. We're told here that it's the men, women, children, and infants. What Saul commands is so terrible, and it is so much the, uh, the unimaginable that his, own, that his own soldiers literally say right here, we're not doing it. This is crazy, Saul. You have turned into a monster. We're not killing these priests because the priests are God's anointed. We are not going to have that blood on our hands. And so Saul turns to an Edomite named Doag and he says, you do it. And Doag does it. This is a massacre. 85 priests and their families slaughtered in the city of Nob. These are God's anointed that Saul now slaughters. This is the ultimate act of rejecting God. You can imagine the scene in the city. We don't know the exact number, but 85 people, 85 men and their families, this is at least a couple hundred people who are being killed. As women are screaming as they see their kids slaughtered. As the priests are crying out and begging for mercy, but there's blood everywhere in the streets. 
Saul has used his power to kill and destroy. He has become a monster. But this is where his trajectory has taken him one step at a time. And there's a warning for us as God's people. The warning is don't harden your hearts towards God because if you go down this road, it is all bad and it ends in destruction. This reminds me of the last season of Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad's one of my favorite shows and the final season is crazy because it's the season where all of the unimaginable, unthinkable things happen because of the trajectory of Walter White, AKA Heisenberg. I'm not gonna give you the season finale. I don't wanna spoil it. Some of you are 10 years too late and you still haven't watched it, but I'll give you the opportunity, I won't ruin it. Um, but it's not just the finale of a TV show where we see this. It's in real life too. The finale of every one of these crime stories ends the same. When people become monsters, all of these stories end the exact same way because at some point the monster gets caught and exposed. And it always ends with devastation and shame. Every ending looks something like this. These are pictures of some people who have done some of the most atrocious acts of violence in recent history. They're dictators from around the world and they're serial killers in our own country. And most of you probably know who these people are or you're familiar at least with them when the photos pop up because we are fascinated by these stories. We're fascinated by these stories, but why? Why are we fascinated by these stories so much? Well, it's because we like to think that evil is out there. We love to think that evil is out there and, it, and we are far too uncomfortable to think that evil is in here. It makes us very uncomfortable to think that the same evil that's out there is actually in here. It's in me, it's in us. And that's why it makes it so easy for us to binge watch these shows. It makes it easy for us to watch it on TV because it's out there. And it also makes it easy for you to check out right now in the sermon and say, yeah, but I'm not one of those. I'm not a dictator and I'm not a serial killer. That's true, I hope, I hope. <laughs> That's true. But here's the thing, all of these people weren't always like this. They weren't always like this. And actually most of these people were pretty normal in the early episodes, in the first episode and in the second episode. But the trajectory of their lives has led them here. So my question for you this morning is what episode are you in? What episode 
are you in? Are you in an early episode where maybe you've been ignoring the little things? You've been overlooking them, kind of pushing them to the side. You haven't been dealing with the little things and instead you've been making small compromises that are actually setting you on the trajectory of sin. And God is trying to get your attention this morning. But maybe, maybe you're in one of the later episodes. Maybe you've been on the trajectory of sin for a while and maybe you've even found yourself pulling away from God and drifting away that you've kind of wandered in this season. And maybe your heart has been growing hard towards God. And if that's you this morning, there is good news for you because God is merciful. He is merciful and he is pursuing you. He is trying to get your attention this morning to stop you from going down the road of destruction and instead to surrender to him. The craziest thing that we see in these passages that we're looking at in 1 Samuel this morning, or as we could say that we've seen in these episodes this morning, The craziest thing is that the whole time that King Saul is pursuing David to kill him, there is another king who's a better king. And this king has been pursuing Saul in spite of himself and in spite of his rebellion. And that same king that pursued Saul is pursuing you today. And he's pursuing you not to kill you and destroy you, but to save you and restore you. This king is Jesus. Jesus is the pursuing king. He is relentlessly coming after you to deliver you from the enemy and to save you from yourself because sin dehumanizes you and it makes you more and more like a monster. But Jesus is far more determined than Saul. Jesus is determined to deliver you and he does the truly unimaginable thing. He allowed the monster of sin to massacre him on the cross. He allowed allowed himself to be massacred so that you could be free from the power of sin and that you could be free from having to become a monster. And Jesus is inviting you today to surrender to let go, to surrender to his pursuit, to stop fighting against him, but surrender to his pursuit so that you can experience the power of his mercy and his grace today. And so as we move into our time of communion and as we come to the table, these elements represent Christ's body and his blood. The bread represents his body that was freely given for us. And the wine or the juice represents his blood that was shed for us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this meal is for you. And as we take it, we take it as an act of surrender. But maybe you're here this morning and maybe maybe you would say that you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've drifted away from Jesus and maybe your heart is hard, but you feel like God is speaking to you, you feel like he's nudging you, you feel like he's trying to get your attention this morning. If that's you, we would love to pray with you and pray for you. We have people on both sides of the stage during our response time who would love to pray with you. 
But as we move into our time of response, let us celebrate our pursuing King. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the pursuing King who pursued us in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to be massacred by the monster of sin so that we could be free. And yet, Jesus, there is this story of Saul, this is a cautionary tale for us that we would heed the warning because there is a Saul in all of us. And Lord, we are all on a trajectory towards something. It's either towards wisdom and following your way, Jesus, or it's towards the destructive path of sin. So Jesus, I pray that we would be a people who do not reject wisdom, who don't reject relationships and who do not reject you. So Jesus, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would be moving and speaking even here and now. It's in your name, amen.